Today is a special episode of PI Perspectives. Matt welcomes Scott Fulmer, the Intermountain PI. Scott, a Gulf War veteran, has a successful investigation company out of Utah. Thank you for your service, Scott. Matt and his guests discuss insurance company surveillance and how to navigate this business. Scott, the author of The Confessions of a Private Eye, is also the host of the Intermountain PI podcast program. So podcast worlds collide as these two hosts sit down to talk shop. This episode is brought to you by Delve Point. Delve Point was founded by investigators with more than 70 years of combined service in the industry. From missing persons cases and custody disputes to insurance investigations and criminal cases, Delve Point's billions of records from all three credit bureaus allows you to develop a complete profile of your subject. Check out the special link for investigators in the show notes. Now let's check in on the guys and see what they have to offer this week. Here's your host, private investigator, Matt Spare. And welcome to the next episode of PI Perspectives. We have a great show for you today. We actually have another podcaster joining us, Scott Fulmer, the Intermountain PI. So welcome, Scott. Hey, Matt. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Yeah, so I know you and I have uh, traded a couple messages on LinkedIn, and we decided that was probably a good idea for us to get together and, and discuss a little bit. And uh, man, when I got you on the phone, I was like, "This is a cool cat. We got to do a show together." So I appreciate you taking the time to uh, to come on and talk to us today. I think you may be my alter ego, so it's my pleasure <laughs> to be here. <laughs> there we go. Right, we got some un- unbreakable thing going on here. <laughs> That's right. Fantastic. Am I the good guy or the bad guy? I, I don't know yet. Um, <laughs> Okay, so uh, the Intermountain PI. So I, you know, I never really understood what the Intermountain, you know, what, what that meant because I'm from the East Coast. So I was like, oh, Intermountain. Mm-hmm. And you actually explained it to me. So why don't you explain to folks like what the Intermountain region is? So the Intermountain West is pretty much a region that covers uh, the area around Utah, you know, Colorado. Uh, Wyoming, Idaho, Nevada, that area there where the Rocky Mountains come come down, and it's uh, it's a beautiful, beautiful place to work. Not a whole lot of people live here. I mean, just a few, several million, I guess, over the whole Intermountain West, but uh, it's a great place to be. Right, right. Have you lived there your whole life, or is it some place you just ended up? I have not. I'm, I am originally from Texas, uh, and I, I have, uh, I've been in the, in the, you know, the private investigation industry for about 30 years. But as I uh, tried to branch out and and, uh, begin my own business, uh, you probably know in New York and Florida, California, Texas, there's just too many investigators. Yeah, there's a lot. There's there's a lot in New York. There is, yeah. And you have to to be successful. It's really best to find a niche and and, uh, and focus on that. And I like to do a little bit a little bit of everything. I mean, I, I primarily deal with insurance defense, but I, I do some domestic work and some uh, some corporate investigations as well. And so I uh, have some family here. I ended up relocating here years ago. Uh, and uh, and I, I like it here because it's, uh, uh, it's a big pond and I'm a little fish, so. Yeah, probably like incorrectly, but every time I hear that, like I, th- I think of like that area, I think about Longmire, right? I, I used to be like a huge Longmire fan, but I'm probably way off as to what it really is and you know, where you're from. But that's that's all I think about. You know, about. I've been to the yeah. There's a, there's a town in Wyoming. I actually did surveillance there, and I, the name escapes me, but it's uh, it's where the the guy, the I think the author uh, is from, and they have a Longmire days there. And they, you know, the the actors came up, and it's a big, it's a tiny town, but it's a big to do. That's great. 
Yeah, that was one of the binge watches for me on Netflix. I couldn't get enough of that show. <laughs> yeah, same here. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, so the Intermountain PI is uh, is your podcast. How long have you been podcasting? So I've been podcasting since, well, I've had different uh, iterations of it, but uh, the most recent one has been going on for over a year now. I mean, it originally started out as a blog, but uh, I really, I really enjoy podcasting. And when I started in the business, I started, you know, like I said, over 30 years ago before there was email or, or really the internet or anything like that. And so I, I, I got no help whatsoever. Uh, and I had to make all the mistakes myself and figure things out on my own. And so the podcast is a labor of love. And I, I primarily do it to uh, mentor and to help other PIs that are new in the business. Yeah, I was listening to one of your episodes um, going back, and I think you you coined it perfectly, where you're like, "This is a CLE." You know, you don't get credit for it, unfortunately, but this is really, you know, continuing education uh, for investigators, yeah. right? Yeah, I mean, a lot of, uh, I mean, as you know, that most of the, uh, almost all the states in the U.S. Uh, have some type of licensing, say for I think about four or five, and all those licensings even are not created equally. And so you have individuals that want to be private investigators, and they may not have any kind of experience. And a lot of times you have, especially the old school folks, uh, they don't really want to share anything. They don't want to share uh, sources. They don't want to share ideas. They don't want to help out. That's kind of what I ran up against. And so I, I think that a, you know, a, a rising tide lifts all boats, and I feel like your podcast, PI Perspectives, and mine, and Francie's, and the ones out there really help to uh, provide continued education to uh, investigators throughout the U.S. And, and help us become better at what we do. Right, John Hoda is another one uh, where just he's yeah, putting yeah, education first, which is which is great. Yeah, he's a solid dude. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, it's funny because you know, you're talking about like the old school guys not wanting to share trade secrets and things like that. You know, for me, in New York it was a little bit funny because a lot of the investigators that get into this business are former law enforcement. So it's like, right. you know, hey, where just, you know, where did you do your time? Where did you serve? You know, what unit were you in? This and that. I'm like, yeah, never did that. <laughs> so, kind of had to fend for myself with all that stuff. But I can, I can appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. same here. Yeah, I never, I didn't come from, uh, you know, law, law enforcement either. Right? It was just something I've always wanted to do. And, and after, uh, while I was in college, I began working as a, as a PI. So. Right. Right. And you, uh, you wrote a book too, right? Confessions of a private eye. How'd you come up I with did. that concept? What would happen is I, I wrote a blog years ago that's no longer in existence. And, uh, I would blog about, uh, you know, strange cases I had or, or, uh, it, it basically became the podcast at some point, you know, tips and resources and, and things like that. And when I would be flying somewhere to a case or driving or talking to people, they would always say, you know, you should really write a book. And I, I just kind of turned the blog into the book and it, it uh, kind of went from there, but it came out in February of, of uh, 2018 and uh, it's, uh, you can find it at Amazon and, and Barnes and Noble. That's great, man. Uh, like, it's funny because uh, over the years I, I've always told myself that too, like, oh, this is a great story. This case I worked on it, it'll be in my book one day. But you know, it's like, right. I, I don't know if I'd ever get around <laughs> to writing a book. I mean, I, I I'd like to write. I've I've actually been getting into it. You know, doing work, doing for uh, PI Magazine and and uh, mm-hmm. actually the Art of Investigation. I would I was lucky enough to get selected to, to write a chapter for it. So I'm like kind of getting into the. The groove of what it's like to be a, a writer, but man, putting together like an actual full book is that's a little intimidating, right? It is, and I mean, you can do it. Anybody can do it. It, it took me about a year to write it, 
and um, I it, basically I would I get in these moods where I'd write, and then I wouldn't feel like doing it, and I wouldn't touch it for you know two weeks, and I'd come back to it. But the whole process was cathartic for me to be right. able to just write. And of course, I had to change the names and the locations, and you know a lot of the details. But uh, the worst part of it for me was the editing. Uh, I believe at the end of it, I, when I finished it, I, I went through and reread it like ten times, and by the end of it, I was so sick of reading right. my book. Right. Who's, who's this chump? <laughs> who's this guy with the stories? Like, <laughs> oh man, can't stand it. That's cool. And some of the other things you've written, right? So you've written for PI Magazine, you've written for Pursuit Magazine. And uh, te- the uh, Texas Inve- Investigator, which is the, the tally, um, I guess, uh, magazine as well, right? Right, right. In fact, I, I had a, uh, I have an article in, in Pursuit Magazine right now uh, called Google and Microsoft Advertising for Private Investigators, where I, I kind of go into detail about that. And then I know you have an, an article, you have two articles, I believe, in the, in the current PI magazine. I do, for, hot and off the presses, have, yeah. Yeah, I haven't got my copy yet. I mean, I've seen the digital copy already, but I haven't got my printed copy. But uh, I have I have an article in there about the uh, about podcasting as well. Great, great. That's that's great. That I, it's so nice that the industry is finally starting to catch on. And it's it's funny because I, I've talked to a lot of folks and and who want to do it right. They want to get into to doing like oh, it'd be so mm-hmm. cool to do it. And yeah, it's cool. It's fun. I really enjoy doing it. But man, it's a lot of work. People don't realize what it takes to actually put an episode together. And, you know, you're talking about book editing, editing <laughs> the shows, the podcast themselves. That's the big labor oh, right yeah. there. Yeah, it's it's very it difficult. It is, it is. I mean, uh, not getting rich doing it. No. That's for sure. And it, <laughs> it takes away from the rest of the work that we do get paid for. All right, subscribe, people. <laughs> Both our episodes, please. That's right, yeah. <laughs> we beg you. <laughs> uh, yeah, so that, that that's cool, man. Like, I, I really enjoy... Um, your show actually, and um, you know, it, it's funny. You you listen to people's different styles of how they do things, and, and you're like, okay, I'll pull a little bit from here, pull a little bit from there, and I'll, I'll make my own thing out of it. And uh, definitely, um, you, the products that you were putting together are, are something that was influential in, in how I decided what my voice sounded like. I wanted wanted it to sound like, I guess, is is a way to put it. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. And I, I think there's there's uh... It does take a commitment, and, and as you, it, you'll notice that if you subscribe to, uh, or if you're looking to subscribe to Private Investigator Podcast, you'll find many of them that are no longer active. Right. Uh, the American PI, you know, Paul J. Oh, fantastic! Uh, I podcast. love Paul's podcast. But, yeah. but I would, I would, uh, I would still recommend that people get the older. Uh, uh, episodes because there's a wealth of information in them. Yeah, good nuggets in there. Definitely, I agree. I agree. Uh, okay, so we're going to uh, jump into the reason why I actually asked to talk to you today, which is insurance defense. Okay. That's that's kind of your thing. We're going to take a break in, in just a second, but just to finish laying the foundation for you. Uh, so you're a combat veteran from the Gulf War. So thank you, sir, for serving our country. I really appreciate thank that. Thank you. And, I appreciate um, that too. Thank you. Yeah, I know it was a, a big sacrifice for you. So I, I really appreciate that. And you, you came back home, you got your degree in security management, and you've done work in both the public and, and the private sector, right? And you started your business back Correct. in 2006, right? That's right, yes. Okay. We are going to jump into insurance defense and what that looks like when we come back from this break. So we're going to step out real quick and we'll be right back, guys. This episode is brought to you by the Society of Professional Investigators. If you're in New York City on February 20th, join them at Forlini's in Little Italy. The speaker will be Paul Callen. 
Paul will speak about the hot topic of bail and criminal justice reform in New York State. You don't want to miss this meeting. Back to the show. And welcome back to PI Perspectives. This is Matt Spare. I'm your host. And uh, today we have Scott Fulmer, the Intermountain PI, uh, with us today. So welcome back, Scott. Hey, thanks, Matt. Okay, so insurance defense, not my cup of tea. So <laughs> tell me about it. How does it work? Uh, I know nothing about this. Don't so. you, uh, aren't you on the other side? Do you, don't you do personal injury? Uh, I do. I do. So. Yeah, so this is the other side. This is the insurance defense, and it's essentially uh, – it, it runs the gamut of a lot of different types of insurance defense services, uh, such as workers' compensation fraud, liability claims, you know, like if someone comes into a store and slips and falls and they sue the store – then we we work on behalf of the insurance company to defend the claim, uh, disability claims, and it even gets into what they call SIU, which is special investigations units, and that's where they look at where they investigate suspected fraud in particular claims such as vehicle accidents, uh, you know, workplace accidents, theft, uh, and those types of those types of matters. Right. And is this something like you always did when you started your business or did you kind of find fall into that niche and say, you know what, there's a there's a good opportunity for me here to make a good living. Uh, I want to focus on doing this kind of work. So I, it was kind of what I started out doing. I started out in college. Uh, I say part time, but I was working like 30 plus hours a week um, doing insurance defense. At that point, it was primarily workers comp with a little bit of liability claims and and then over the years they kind of filled out the different other areas that uh, that make up insurance defense okay so you started doing that kind of work and uh, you know, how, how do you approach it what's what's the first uh, you know getting that that business and then I guess servicing the client how, what does that look like well you know it really depends on what type of uh, what type of claim you're you know you're you're going at going for or what type of investigation it is, for example, if it's a workers' compensation claim, the claimant, uh, which is you know basically the subject or the, the individual that uh, was on the job and got injured, they're typically going to be no longer working. They're going to be at home. Well, supposedly they're going to be at home, and they're receiving a benefit, a, a portion of their check to stay at home and recoup and recover until they can get back to work. Now, some companies have light duty, so if you're going to do workers' comp uh, investigations, you need to make sure that the client lets you know whether the, the claimant is on light duty, because if he's on light duty, that means he is still going to work. Uh, he's just doing something different until he can get back, he or she can get back to their regular job. But essentially what it looks like is the client will ask for surveillance, uh, typically, and it could be two days or three days or, or longer than that, or it could be just a, a four-hour activity check to see what's going on. And... Um, about three out of ten workers' comp claims have some measure of fraud in them. It's about thirty percent. Thirty percent. And uh, and so that typically the the employer and or the adjuster that's handling the claim will recognize certain red flags. Uh, for example, they call the claimant and the claimant's never home, or the claimant is sleeping and can't be disturbed, or they saw them playing baseball on the weekend, you know, a coworker did, or they're not showing up for their, their physical therapy appointments. And so that's when they, they hire an investigation company to go out and, you know, find out what is going on. And essentially what we do is we, we uh, observe them, we provide video documentation, and we determine, uh, well, we don't make any determine, we don't adjudicate anything. We just 
together the facts. But what we're looking for is activity that is not, um, you know, that is not in conjunction with their alleged uh, injuries. Right. And, and I guess so, as, uh, as technology has changed over the years, um, it, it, it must have got, I would assume, have gotten a lot easier to, to, you know, use different cameras and provide images and embed into reports and really prepare and put everything together, right? Oh, it has, yeah. In fact, um, I have, uh, you know, all of my stuff is online, and so cl- clients are able to log in, you know, at home in their pajamas and 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 stream the video and get the reports and everything. Uh, but I remember delivering videotapes back in the day, right. you know, so they could watch it on their VCR. Uh, but you know, Matt, the fact that you fin- that you mentioned um, uh, technology is interesting because it's made it easier in a lot of ways, uh, because especially because of social media. And so now we're able to see on Instagram or Facebook what people are doing, where they're going. You know, they're, everybody wants you to know what they're eating. They're taking yeah. pictures of their food. Guilty as charged, <laughs> sir. That's right. <laughs> Guilty as charged. Yeah. That's another podcast. But, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, and a lot of it is after the fact. But you can still, you know, uh, get, uh, for example, somebody's uh, on a bowling, uh, a bowling uh, league every Thursday. Well, you can show up and uh, be there with your camera right. and get them lifting the, you know, a 16 pound ball and, and, and bowling. So that technology has helped as well as, uh, of course, high definition cameras. And uh, in when high definition cameras first came out, they had lousy zoom capabilities. The quality of the picture was great, but they really couldn't zoom very well. And now, mm. now they can zoom a lot better. And of course, we've got uh, infrared, we can see at night. Uh, GPS trackers. There's all kinds of uh, ways that technology has made the job easier. So what, what's the deal uh, out in the, the Intermountain area? Are drones, uh, thumbs up or thumbs down? I am pro-drone, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it just depends. You have to be real careful. They are not allowed in federal parks. And I think there's like five federal parks in uh, in Utah. And there's a, a couple in Wyoming where I, you know, like the Tetons and Yellowstone. They're not allowed there. There are certain requirements that you have to have, but I've, I've ended up using them on a couple of cases. I had a case where a guy was doing uh, construction and and he was in a ditch. And when I say ditch, it was a it was a pretty big ditch, and he was down in this big ditch, and it was right near the side of the road. So I could I could uh, fly my drone and lift it up pretty high, just straight up from where I was on the road, and videotape right into the into the uh, into the ditch and videotape him working. Now, this thing, did, it never ended up in court, and I think if it, if it had, I don't know if that video would have been uh, allowed, but uh, I've also used them uh, in, in uh, areas where they were kind of uh, overt, like uh, I had a claimant that was playing football, and I just was just another guy in the park, you know, flying a drone, and right. I get a great view of him uh, tackling and doing all that other stuff. <laughs> That's nice. So I, I got a funny drone story, actually. On the plaintiff side, sometimes what we do is we um, go to independent medical examinations with the injured party, right? So right. Uh, we'll go, we'll sit with them, doctor examines them, asks them questions, we advise them to answer or not to answer, record the, the questions that they're asking. I, I know it's a place where surveillance guys love to pick up subjects because they know they're going to be there, right? They have a scheduled appointment to be there. And they're like, oh, I'll just yes, pick them up do. when they leave, right? I have their photo ID <laughs> because right, yeah. because the medical facility copies their photo ID. Like it's genius, right? So yeah. you know, the funny thing is, we always know they're going to be there too. And I've walked out of them and banged on the surveillance van window and told the guy like, hey, hit the bricks, buddy, right? Um, so anyway, so <laughs> so my, my drone story, uh, I get a call from one of my clients, and he's like, you'll never believe what happened. I was like, what? He, 
He said, my client was leaving this independent medical examination. He hears this like, you know, whizzing sound and he looks up and someone's flying a drone and he's like, yeah, big deal, whatever. Right. So he keeps walking and then drone is actually following him. You know, and he's like, I don't know if my client is paranoid or what, but I, I believe that an investigator is using a drone. And I was like, okay, so where is this? And he goes, Staten Island, New York. So I was like, oh, okay. Well, first of all, if that guy's not a licensed FAA pilot who's flying it, that investigator, there's some issues, right? If you're doing it commercially, you've got some issues. <laughs> so that's, that's strike number one. Uh, you know, strike number two is, you know, you're not supposed to fly drones at all in the five boroughs in New York. So Staten Island oh, wow. is part of them. So again, that's a no-go, right? So this was a Friday night and I said, okay, when's the guy's next appointment? Uh, hey, I want to send you something. He sends me this newspaper article. So the newspaper article is an article of a Black Hawk uh, military helicopter that had to make an emergency landing in Staten Island because a drone had uh, flew into the Black Hawk helicopter. Oh. Right? So you think like, oh, all right, that's pretty random. What does that have to do with, you know, this case here, right? It happened right above the subject's house. <laughs> so <laughs> you put you put two and two together, and the the worst part about it for the the investigator was the serial numbers from the drone were were attached to the uh, the Black Hawk helicopter. So the you know the head came into contact, and there were still parts of the drone lodged into the the Black Hawk helicopter. Uh, so they knew exactly <laughs> who the drone was registered to. So uh, I don't even I don't know why he would the PI would have used a drone. I mean, it, it didn't sound like it's very. I, he just wanted to play with the toy, I guess. Yeah. Like something. Yeah, who knows? There are very few applications for them, but when you can use them, they're perfect for the job. Right, right. So, yeah, that's my drone story. I uh, I don't use them because we can't. You know, we can't here in New York. Upstate New York, yes, but, again, you still have to have that um, – the licensing and, and all that, being able to do that. So oh, yeah. uh, if you're interested in doing that kind of work, do your research, people, and <laughs> make sure you're not breaking any laws or, or doing anything that, that <laughs> would get this this home run surveillance video that you take uh, thrown out because it's not admissible. So you want to be careful of that. So, um, okay, so let's get back on topic here. So insurance defense, um, you've got your assignments. So so tell me what that looks like. Give me an example of, of some uh, assignments you had that – worked out or, or didn't work out for you okay yeah so i had uh i had a, 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 a surveillance on a, a gentleman that was on workers comp he's supposed to be at home recuperating from an injury that he received on the job and of course uh he ends up leaving in the morning uh, and and reporting to a, a workplace but it was in dark and I, I didn't really get a good look at the guy at all but i ended up following them over to a um a construction site. And when I say construction site, it was basically one of these mom and pop convenience stores out in a rural area. And him and about four other guys were repaving the parking lot. So this is good because one, he's working when he's on workers comp, you're not supposed to do that. Right. That's a big no, no. Uh, and, and two, uh, he's evidently, uh, uh, you know, doing construction, which was his original job. So if he can do it for the, these guys, he can certainly go back to work. Right. But the only problem was I didn't really get a good look at him. And a lot of times uh, the uh, the clients will have photographs. Sometimes they don't have photographs. Sometimes the photograph they have is, you know, 10 years ago when the guy just started working. And, it, you, you know, and the other issue with with this was uh, is he was a Hispanic male. His height and weight were proportional. And so I'm sitting there looking at this construction, you know, this parking lot. And there's five Hispanic males and they all 
and same height and weight, and they're all about the same age. Wow. And so I had no idea which one my guy was. Uh, and but they were out there, you know, you know, on their knees with their little knee pads on, and they're scooping, you know, doing the cement, making it all flat and and beautiful. And and uh, so I basically one of the little tricks the trade I did in this case was I just got on my phone and called them. Uh, I just called them on my cell phone <laughs> oh, and I looked. And, that's so funny. And of those five guys, <laughs> one of them picks up the phone and says, "Hello." And of course, uh, I said, uh, you know, wrong number and I hung up, but now I knew who he was. So at that point, uh, I was able to videotape him. And I would say also this, uh, when you don't, you know, if in doubt, just videotape him. So that's what I did. I yeah, videotaped sure. everybody yep. until I could determine which one, you know, it was, which, which guy it was. That is a fantastic tip. <laughs> so funny. Um, you know, I mean, it's just a little, uh, little stuff like that. I had another, uh, uh, case and, and and like I said, some of these are workers' comp, others are different. I had a sometimes individuals uh, receive uh, like a, workers' compensation doesn't cover just injuries or like losing a, a finger or a toe. It, it covers death as well. Right. And so I had a woman that was receiving uh, a workers' comp benefit. Her husband had uh, uh, was uh, uh, essentially blown up. He was a, he worked for a gas company, wow. and uh, there was a gas leak at a home. And uh, and he uh, went there to investigate it. And, you know, they have all their safety things that they do. But he told the people, the people in the house that left the house and the, the wife, uh, the, you know, the individual went back in the house and he told her, don't do that. So he went back in to get her. And I, whatever happened, I don't know what she did, but the whole house blew up. And so he was killed. Wow. And so the his wife, his widow, receives his workers comp uh, benefit. And she only receives it until she, if she remarries, then it, then it, uh, she no longer receives the benefit. And so uh, we do what we call an alive and well check. It's often called a widow's check, right. where we go out, we we interview the individual, find out if you know what they're doing, where they're working, who they're living with. Uh, we do record checks to see if she's remarried and you know uh, hasn't informed the insurance company. So that's just another aspect of of uh, the insurance defense investigations. Yeah, wow, that's that's really interesting. So, do you ever do um, like like when I first got into the business, like really like right out of college, I worked for a company that that did like um, they would follow. They were hired by companies that uh, would hire us to follow their employees to see what their employees were doing mm-hmm. during the day. You ever do that kind of work? I, I've done it uh, just really rarely. Every once in a while, somebody you know wants stuff like that. I had a guy where. That guy was fired, and they wanted him. Uh, they let me know ahead of time they were going to fire this gentleman, and they wanted him, to, him followed for the next couple of days because they were afraid he might come back, you know, with a firearm or come back and cause problems. Wow. And uh, I, you know, I followed him the whole weekend. He got up on a Saturday, went for a long ride out in the country. He went to this small town, and there was this little gazebo in town. And he went to the gazebo and laid down. I swear, he took an hour nap. Then he got up, got back in his car, and went home. It was just—it was kind of a boring thing. He was probably collecting unemployment, right? <laughs> living, I guess. I living the like, dream. <laughs> he needed a nap. <laughs> That's crazy. So to, to give you an idea of how long ago that I, I did this kind of work, uh, we're talking, I don't know, like 96 or 97. Um, my uh, employer, you know, had the uh, like the VHS cams that pretty much go on your shoulder, right? So, oh, yeah. Uh, I'm driving through New York City <laughs> with this camera on my shoulder trying to drive oh, and trying to, to catch the lights, you know, that I'm not 
you know, blowing through red lights or just, uh, it was like a plumbing supply company that they wanted us following their trucks for mm-hmm. delivery schedules to make sure that like, they weren't stealing time, um, and, and doing that kind of stuff. And then, you know, every once in a while the cover would be blown and the guy would come over, you know, with a, uh, you know, pipe in his hand saying, you know, beat it or yeah, I'm going to beat your break car. your window down. <laughs> right. So that may have happened <laughs> once or twice. I was not good doing, doing surveillance. So. Hey, so. we all learn. Uh, you know, I, I'm kind of a firm believer. You can read books, you can watch videos, but when it comes down to surveillance, you really just got to get out there and make mistakes. I hate to say that. But, yeah, yeah, you're right. Um, you know, you just have to get out there and you learn, well, I won't do that next time. Sure. Or, uh, you know, when you, you follow someone to a location and you get set up uh, to videotape them when they come out you know you don't want to be across the street and then you can't get out in traffic i mean there's always going to be problems so you really got to think ahead so do you typically run like a single man team or do you do multiple teams because i know like here in new york like they tell you you have to have at least two to three people when you're doing these um, surveillance jobs well i mean as you know and as most pis would probably agree the clients typically don't want to pay for more than well, one guy of course yeah right uh so it, it really depends Generally, we run one in one person. I, you know, I do, uh, you know, single individual surveillances. If it's a new client, if it's uh, a case that's particularly hairy, then I may have two people, even if we're not getting paid for it, we'll just eat that, eat that amount. And, and uh, that way we can be more successful. Right. So do, do you have like national contracts um, that you work with or uh, is it just your, your local? I do that, yeah, and I also have local, regional. Um, this the insurance uh, defense market is really hard to get into. Right. It requires, uh, you know, it requires a lot of marketing over an extended period of time to get your name out there, get your face out there, and and uh, so it can be difficult. But I've also found that there are local, regional companies, maybe your regional utilities, uh, transportation. You know, in other words. Uh, uh, utility or, or, or transportation, I say company for lack of a better word, that are only serving your area. Right. You know, like, a, for example, for your local bus company. And so they they don't typically need any kind of a national presence. They don't need a PI firm that can cover Albuquerque and New York City. They just care about what's happening in, you know, Brooklyn right. or uh, what's happening in Salt Lake City. And so that's kind of the first place that I would go if you're looking to uh, get into the business is get into your local area, you know, your gas company, your electric company, the, the transportation, the buses, subways, what have you, that they have workers that obviously will, you know, handle, have workers comp claims. Even the cities, the city of, like the city of New York or uh, the city of Miami, right. uh, they their, their specialty, well, this could be arguable, but their specialty is running city management, not handling insurance claims. And so they hire uh, TPA, you know, third-party administrators to handle them, and then they need investigators to go out and investigate those claims. Right. And I guess that that's how you've done some of your uh, public work, I guess. Um, right, right. Right. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. In fact, I had a, I had a case where it was, uh, in fact, it was a utility company and they ended up causing an accident and hitting a, a mother and a daughter. Oof. And they were injured. You know, a lot of these people are, are injured initially, or they are injured to some degree, but they they either malinger, which is they don't want to come back to work, or they don't want to, you know, uh, get back to normal, right. or they uh, they refuse to settle the claim. This was a uh, a liability claim. So basically, the utility company was liable for the accident, 
And uh, the mother-daughter were, you know, saying they had all kinds of problems. They were paralyzed from the neck up. They couldn't do anything. And um, I ended up doing a kind of a neighborhood canvas and spoke with a neighbor that said that uh, this particular neighbor did not like the uh, the mother. Right. <laughs> well, she yeah. Said, that's a... <laughs> she was not. A, yeah, Scott. She said, that's right. She, yeah, said, you she said, you know what? That that she said she's going to take that that utility company for all their worth. And so, right. of course, we did the surveillance on them. And it was actually pretty cool. I, I uh, and I, I talk about this in my book, but I, I ended up finding out that the, uh, you know, just doing my research, I saw in the back of the uh, the mother's vehicle, you know, all the little stickers they have for high school and all. So, uh, as John Hoda would say, uh, long, uh, short story long, I saw a volleyball and a number on the back and found out that the daughter was on the high school volleyball team. Right. And so I, I called the high, I looked on the high school website, got the schedule and I showed up for the next game and I set up in the stands with everybody else who all had video cameras. And I sat and videotaped the, the uh, daughter playing volleyball, doing these vicious spikes and setting the ball and then every time she would score, the mother would jump up and down on the opposite side of the stadium and, <laughs> and scream. And you say, got a twofer. It is, yeah, it was a two-for-one, right? Beautiful. And uh, so, yeah, that's uh, that was technology. That was websites. That was just the power of observation. That's great. You know, no, noticing that she was on a volleyball team. And so those things really helped with this liability claim. You know, it's funny. Like, uh, you know, on, on my side, these are the conversations I have with these people when we're first retaining them. Like, don't do this. Don't do that. Make sure you're not doing don't this. Don't leave the house. You know, it's like, <laughs> you know, you're injured. If you're really injured, you know, like you need to cut back on uh on what you're doing there. So, you know, I, I do have another question on, on this stuff and it's something, you know, that I, I struggled with when I, I, I did this kind of work very briefly when I started. So the, the two, two, two parts here. So the first part is, um, you know, you have that high turnover of the supervisors in the SIU unit or whatever, right? So you, you establish a relationship and next thing you know, you know, the, the guy that you're dropping donuts off for is he, he, he's gone, right? And he's history and there's somebody new there. So getting around that, frustration how do you deal with that and the other question is how do you manage expectations right so you're saying 30 percent of the time you're going to find somebody that's doing something that they're not supposed to do but 70 percent of the time they're they're hiring you to go do this but you're not getting the results uh for them to defend their claim like how do you how do you manage those expectations how do you deal with them it's, it's difficult and i can tell you uh especially because and i did have uh uh, you know, be totally upfront. I had a, a contract I no longer have because they kept giving me uh, claimants that were out in the rural areas where the guy lived, you know, a mile off the road behind a, a hog pen uh, with 14 uh, cars that were no longer working around surrounding his mobile home. And, you know, and it's uh, that makes it very difficult. You can't sit there and, and uh, without being noticeable. Sounds so like a compound it, to it, me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, it, it makes it very difficult, and, wow. and all of those, all of the cases were like that. And wow. It makes it very difficult to be uh, to be successful. So, and I, I think to answer the first part of that question, you know, Janet Jackson had a song back in the '80s that uh, the main chorus was "What Have You Done for Me Lately," right. and that's pretty much the way adjusters are. Right. Uh, you're only as good as your last case. You're right. only as good as your last surveillance. And um, you can do really, really good. And then if you have a couple of dogs, they can get really upset. Now, this can work 
both ways because I've had a, an adjuster tell me that uh, she says, you know, I've hired the national firms, I've hired regional firms, I've hired one man, P, you know, PI companies, and and uh, when we, it doesn't matter. Eventually, they all kind of peter out on us, and we we once we find somebody that's really good, we stick with them. Right. So I think partly you need to continue that relationship, and you need to communicate. And let them know what is going on. Don't let them find out when you turn in the report that uh, you know something bad happened. You need to let them know ahead of time. Um, I I, uh, I read a statistic, and they, the where where at this time escapes me, but it was the number one complaint that people had uh, with private investigators is they is uh, communication issues. They don't right. return phone calls. Right. Um, and so that happens with adjusters. You know, you don't want to, if you lose the claimant, you don't want to, you don't want to let them know. <laughs> so yeah. it's okay. Let them know what happened. And, and sometimes you have to do a little pro bono stuff there at the end, which is something that I've done and right. say, well, you know, we won't charge you for that. And, right. and, uh, and, uh, you just have to continue to be, to communicate with them and continue to kind of be a, a presence there. And of course they're going to change, uh, all the time and you're going to come in and see somebody who's brand new right. and if that's the case you just have to try to to build rapport with them and let them know that you're available and just be honest and and uh you know and genuine with them it's funny. I hope that answers your question yeah it's, it's funny I'll, I'll, we're, we're going to wrap up here soon but i i want to uh just another story just came to mind like i, I never do defense work like almost never and i had an mm-hmm. opportunity about two or three years ago to do uh, some sort of work for, for an out-of-state um, insurance carrier, right? And, and they needed something in New York. And one of my friends from Pennsylvania had recommended me and the guy called me up and said, Hey, we need, we need this done and that done and this done. I'm like, okay, I can totally do that for you. It's not a problem. Um, just send me a retainer, uh, send, send me $5,000 and you know, we'll, we'll, we'll get it done for you. No problem. He's like, sure. well, what do you mean? Send you $5,000? You know, we're an insurance company. We don't do that. And I said, okay, good luck with your problem. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> on the phone, no problem. And uh, it was probably about two or three weeks later, he calls me back. He goes, where do I mail the check? And uh, <laughs> right. So uh, not only did, did we burn through that retainer, but I think we did like another $3,000 on top of it. And, and, and the thing is, it, there was like a thread, right? And once, once we started pulling the thread, um, we were able to uncover a lot of information. And really, like basic, the basic stuff they had called me for. Um, I mean, there was a lot of legwork involved. That's why I wanted the money up front because, and first of all, I'm dealing with an out-of-state entity. You know, what am I going to do? Sue them <laughs> out-of-state? It's never going to happen. Yeah. So, um, and, you know, my policy is if I'm doing work for you out-of-state, I, I get a credit card <laughs> up front and I'm, I'm, I'm banging that card in the beginning and I'll return anything that's not used, you know? Yeah, I don't blame you. I mean, getting paid, that's a whole other podcast. Oh, we could probably talk uh, for another 45 minutes on that, right? Yeah, I mean, I had a, I had a case uh, last year that was for about one about six months and it was about 15,000 and uh they didn't want to do retainer but i, I you know i had a good feel for them and so they ended up paying every month you know they would pay whatever i owe eight at the end of each month and, and everything worked out good but you know yeah i've been uh, i've been hosed as well no i'm not into being hosed man that happened a few times to me when uh when i started my business and it was a whole thing like well, we didn't hire you the a defense attorney hired you and and they never got authorization for us from us to do the work. So, you know, this $4,000 bill that you have, you know, we'll give you a 2,400, take it or leave it. And it's like, mm, that happened one too many times. I'm like, I'm, 
I'm cut from the cloth of the plaintiff side. <laughs> like I'm not doing this anymore. Yeah, then you you put them on your caca list. You don't want yeah. you don't want to do any work for them in the future. Oh, believe me, they're they're plaintiffs on the caca list too. <laughs> it happens <laughs> happens on both sides. Oh um, yeah, but uh, I don't get it yeah. because uh, I mean nothing. I mean the lawyers are making bank. Right. Uh, everybody gets paid, and and of course the PI is the one. We you know we go out there and we provide the evidence. Right. Uh, and uh, and so you know there's a cost for everything, obviously. Yeah, and the funny thing is, is like I always tell these guys, like, don't screw your private investigator. Like, we know how to find bank accounts. Like, we'll get a judgment, and we, we will get paid. Yeah, like, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so it's so funny. Like, uh, I, you know, it doesn't happen that often. Yeah, you know, I think I've been in business, you know, fifteen years now, and I think maybe three or four times I've had to take a client to to court and uh, to get paid. And uh, one time, I remember the guy was fighting me for like two years. He didn't pay me, and I'm like, okay, I'm I'm going to sue you now, right? So, I sued him for interest, right? And then the, probably like the Friday before we were supposed to go to court, he calls me up. He says, hey, listen, um, I just realized I'm going to need you to testify in my case. <laughs> I was like, ooh, okay. He goes, how am I going to make sure that you're actually going to show up for the case? I said, real simple. That outstanding bill you have for me, just pay it. Like, I'm not going to screw <laughs> your client. I would never do that. Just pay me what you owe me. He goes, okay, I'll mail out a check today. And he did. He actually photocopied it and he, he you know, or faxed me a copy of the check and I had it like within a day or two. Uh, it was so funny. Uh, you know, I would have never not shown up. Obviously, you send me a subpoena, I'm going to go. But, you know, it was, it was yeah. so, so funny, you know. And he got, you know, he was like one of those guys when we first got into it. He was like, do you know who I am? Do you know what I could do to you? I was like, all right, this is going to be a problem, <laughs> you know. Sounds like the mafia. Welcome to New York. <laughs> so, I'm sure you have it out out in Utah also. But uh, yeah, that was a that was a funny one. So, hey man, we're gonna wind down over here. So thank you so much. This was great. I feel like we could probably do another 20 minutes or so on this. So um, we'll have you on again and just to pick up and talk about some other stuff, Scott. Because I, I really uh, I love the the work that you're doing and uh, I appreciate you coming on, giving some some tips here and talking about your experiences and uh, I, I really appreciate you taking the time. Hey, Matt, it is totally my pleasure. I'm really happy to talk to you. I enjoy your podcast. I listen to PI Perspectives. And uh, in fact, I just listened to the one uh, about Cynthia Hetherington yesterday uh, on my way back from Jackson Hole, Wyoming. And and, uh, so I really enjoy what you're doing and just keep up the good work. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. So how can folks get a hold of you if they wanted to ask you questions or, uh, you know, check out your podcast? Uh, Why don't you give that info? Yeah, and I, I'm happy to answer any questions, happy to do any of, any of that. Uh, my website is intermountainpi.com, you know, I, intermountain with an I. And uh, from on my website, you can uh, go to my contact page or go to the podcast page as well. And you can get the Intermountain PI podcast wherever you get podcasts, you know, you know Apple or, or Spotify or what have you. Or they give me a call at 801-830-1474. Man, I appreciate it. We'll have all that information in the show notes. So, uh, faithful listeners, <laughs> if you're checking the show out and you like what you heard here, I encourage you to go check out um, Scott's podcast and, and subscribe to it. Um, like it, give it a good review. You know, this stuff is helpful for us, guys. This is how we get sponsors it is, it is, and yeah. uh, you know how we get inspired to keep doing what we're doing is, is getting the feedback from everybody. So, thanks everybody for checking uh, checking in on this, and uh, we'll talk to you guys soon. Take care. Thanks for checking out this episode. What a great interview with Scott and Matt. Be sure to check out and subscribe to the Inner Mountain PI podcast.
You can catch Matt appearing on Scott's show in the next few weeks talking about new topics. A special thank you to our new sponsor, DelvePoint. Check out the show notes for a special investigator link. Thank you also to the Society of Professional Investigators for sponsoring the show. If you're around New York City on February 20th, go check out the meeting. It's open to anyone. Registration info is in the show notes as well. Next week, Matt will be bringing you along to the book signing event for The Art of Investigation. He'll sit down with several of the contributing authors for quick chats. You don't want to miss this one. Have a great week and thank you for downloading and subscribing to PI Perspectives.